microphone here. Well, it's a joy to be here with you guys this morning, and um, and I've enjoyed getting getting to know and and spend some time with Pastor Mike. And so I always appreciate an invitation to come and share and minister with you guys here. And we appreciate him and his ministry to us with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We've we've brought him in in a variety of settings, um, helping minister to the students that we work with. And so my role with FCA is is the leader over our middle school and high school and probably more of my emphasis is at the here at the University of Wyoming and so where we have a fellowship of Christian athletes group on campus but um, I'll share kind of a, a little example too of of FCA and my exposure and it's going to tie into our message today and what we're looking at in in John chapter 6 but when I first got exposed to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was at Laramie Junior High as a seventh or eighth grader, somewhere in there. And I heard about this FCA group and some of my friends were going to it. There was a, quite a few students that would meet at 7 a.m. Uh, on Wednesday mornings at the junior high. So you have to get up really early. But here was the, the thing that really was, was important for me. It was they had donuts or they had some kind of something sweet, something nice, some juice and some donuts, and it was for free also. So that was, that was very appealing for a middle school guy, so I would, would go there. But here was the other thing that was very appealing to me, was going to this FCA group, and, and I was involved in a variety of sports at Laramie Junior High, and usually there wasn't a time of, of school where I wasn't competing in something, whether it was football or wrestling or track or even basketball or whatever was going on. So I would, I would always feel in, in the back of my mind, well, okay, if I go to FCA, then I am going to get God on my side. And I'm going to have some favor with God. And so then in the football games, I'm going to be able to score some touchdowns and I'll win my wrestling matches or whatever. But if if I go to FCA, and, and maybe I might go to church somewhere in there, and that would be a bonus, uh, but we really didn't go to church a whole lot during that time. Uh, but I did have the FCA where I was exposed to God, but yet my motives, and that's going to tie in, so to kind of hang on to that picture, my motives were very, very self-centered. Um, this is going to be good luck for me to go to this Christian organization because I had a belief in God. I didn't, I didn't know Christ as my Savior yet at that time, but I had a belief in God, and I've, I believe that by going, he was going to help me um, be successful in the way that I wanted to be successful. So anyhow, a little bit of my background with FCA, and certainly it's a, it's a nationwide ministry all across the country, and it's in, neat to hear that Brian was involved in Nebraska, and they've got great groups all throughout Nebraska as well. And so, but for this morning, our, our message here, we're going to go into um, John chapter 6. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, um, I'll have you turn to John chapter 6, and we're going we're gonna to bounce around to a couple of different passages in, in the kind of the theme the theme of the message this morning um, is going to be um, seeking God for who He is, not just for what He He does or what what He gives us. And uh, let's I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, open in a word of prayer, and 
and we'll we'll dig into the word. I've had a lot of a lot of time studying this, and I've shared a message on this before, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And I, I mean, we we could talk for a long time on this and do a lot of Bible study, but I I'll try to stay focused and um, and we'll try to be out of here before the second service starts, if that's okay. <laughs> so so yeah, let's let's pray. So Heavenly Father, thanks for this time this morning to gather around your Word. And just to, to fellowship together with believers, to take communion, to remember you, and to look into your word. I pray that you would bless this time, Lord, that the, the words that are spoken, the scripture that we read, um, would encourage us to see who you are, and that it would also challenge us to, see, to seek you with, with motives that would bring honor and, and glory to who you are in uh, not just um, seeking ourselves. And so we pray that you would bless this time, bless the words, and give me the, the direction. May your words be spoken through my mouth and that you would be honored and glorified through that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 6 is where we're going to be at. And I'm going to give a little bit of some background and some some setting of the the book of John kind of to be able to hit some highlights to see where we're at. So our, our main text, we're going to be looking at chapter or verses 1 through um, 14, and we're going to cover quite a bit of ground, actually. But this is the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus feeds uh, 5,000 men. And, and we know through some Bible study that he says that there was 5,000 men, but with everybody that were, were there at that time, with the women, the children... Uh, we're looking at Jesus feeding approximately tw- anywhere, a ballpark of 20,000 people. And uh, an incredible miracle that takes place. Um, but what I want to say too, in, in the book of John, in, in those of us, those of you that have studied this, or I, I've heard this before, if you've got a new believer or a young person that's searching for God, what, where would you tell them to read in the Bible? And I've always heard this, and, and I think it's very true, is like direct them to the book of John. Because what they're going to be able to see is as you read throughout the whole book of John, they're going to get to see who Jesus Christ is. They're going to get to see what Jesus is all about. And in John chapter 20, um, probably this is the theme of the whole book of John, the purpose of John's gospel. Uh, in John chapter 20, verse 30, it says this. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So saying that all these writings that, that John had written in his Gospels, Here's the purpose, is so that they would see and, and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And believing would be a huge theme throughout the book of John. Um, many, multiple times the term to believe is written in the book of John. And so he's going to write a number of accounts of Jesus' miracles. Who is, who is Jesus? And we're going to look at this morning three different people and their response to who Jesus really was. And so we're going to look at 
Jesus is always confronting the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, and they're going to respond to Jesus in a certain way. And then you've got the people that are exposed to his miracles and they see what's going on and they're spending time and they, they may even partake in some of the miracles that Jesus is about. And we're going to see their response and then we're going to see uh, a response of the disciples, the guys that were following Jesus that he's spending a lot of time with. And so we're going to look at those three key responses and then ideally there's going to be some reflection time in there. It's like, how do we respond to Jesus in, in, in what we learn about Him and who He is. And so John chapter 6, so before we get into, and I've, I've got some notes and I've got my, my Bible here, we're going to do a little crash course to get the context of where we're at. So Jesus has already done several key significant miracles. Um, his, his first miracle, miracle number one, was in John chapter 2 where he turns the water into wine at the wedding. And so we've got miracle uh, number one. His, his disciples there, they, they believed in who, who Jesus was. In, in chapter 2 verse 11, it talks about his disciples believing in him. Chapter 4, uh, Jesus heals a nobleman, uh, the nobleman's son. Uh, so second great miracle in John chapter 4. And then in John chapter 5, there's the, the, par- the, uh, the paralytic man, the, the man that, or that that's, um, he's got some issues with him. For 38 years, he had been, um, been troubled. Uh, verse 5, it says, Now there was a, a man who had an infirmity 38 years. Guy's sick for 38 years down, down by the water um, at, at Bethesda, and Jesus heals him. So it's a, it's a miracle. 38 years, everybody would have known this guy. Everybody would have known, you know, that's, that's the guy that's, that's got this medical issue. So Jesus heals him. So there's another miracle. And then we've got chapter 6, he's going to go into the feeding of the 5,000. So another incredible miracle. So, but the first response, chapter 5, is we get a picture of the Pharisees. How are they going to respond to Jesus? So Jesus heals this man. 38 years, he's been sick. And this this incredible uh, miracle takes place. And then Jesus is doing some stuff. And he's, he's doing it on the Sabbath. Well, you shouldn't do it on the Sabbath, right? And so they're... They're nitpicking that he's doing this stuff, this miraculous stuff, doing it on the Sabbath. And of course, by their law and their system, they're saying, nope, this isn't going to work. And so they've got some problems with Jesus. And in verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18, so we're working up to chapter 6. Um, he says that It says this, John writes, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because not only he broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So, we've got Jesus communicating the message. He's, he's putting him, himself in the position where he's equal with God, and he's on the same level of God. And as, as we know, the Father, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. So we've got this picture that we know and we believe that 
um, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus putting himself, Jesus is God. And now we've got the Pharisees, they've seen some of the miracles, they've seen, heard what he's been teaching, and what is their response? No way. This is not right, this is blasphemy. And their response to him was to kill him. So they totally reject Jesus, and we see that throughout all the different Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And ultimately, that's what's going to lead Jesus to the cross, is they're going to crucify him because of his blasphemous claims of being equal with God, of being, being God. And, and so we've got response number one is a response of the Pharisees. So now we're going to go into and then see where the, the people, people are at. But um, let's read John chapter 6. So I'll read it, and so I ask you just to read along. We'll read verses 1 through 14 and get a, get a few points in there as well. So John chapter 6, verse 1. After these, these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that that these may eat? But this he said to, to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was so much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them uh, to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, uh, he... Yeah, so, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered, gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the signs that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay, so there's kind of the, the flyby of this miracle. I was reading through this, and this never hit me before, but I don't, I don't know if any of you guys are fans of leftovers. I'm a, I'm a fan of leftovers when you eat. We, I, I live off of leftovers. I had a roommate in college that he would not eat leftovers, but eating leftovers is biblical. Do you guys see that in there? So. <laughs> You guys see that? So Jesus said, make sure you collect whatever is left over. So, and it never really dawned on me. It's like, see, I should have told my roommate. Is like, hey, man, this is the way to go. Be a good steward. Don't, don't waste your, your food. You know, like he, it, it was interesting. But anyhow, that's a whole nother deal. That's not the point of the, our message here today. So we've got Jesus 
doing, doing this, this miracle. And a couple of things, so like in studying this, this is what's interesting about this particular miracle, is that this is a miracle that's mentioned in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not all the miracles are mentioned there, so it's, it's kind of it's noteworthy to know that um, the different writers of the Gospels include the, this particular miracle. And so in reading and studying through this, if you go through and you read the different accounts of what's going on, you could really piece together. And this was what was fun for me as I was really digging into John chapter 6. So you want to really get the context, what's going on. Uh, and so you can learn a lot of things about your passage by doing some cross-referencing. And so you find out some other little details about what what the situation is. And so a couple of couple of details that some of the other Gospels mentions that this was immediately, I mean, very close to when John the Baptist was killed. John the Baptist was beheaded, and then Jesus went away. Jesus went away, and and he, he, of course he had been doing some miracles. People were knowing what he had been doing, and then also during this, right before this, the, the disciples were sent out. They were sent out to do miracles as well. So people are starting to hear and see some, some incredible things take place, but John the Baptist had been beheaded. So now Jesus and, and his guys, they're getting away. They're trying to get away to go, to go rest, to grieve over the loss of John the Baptist. So they're, they're getting away from kind of the crowds. But yet one, one of the, the Gospels mentions this about Jesus is that so now you got all these people, they're coming in, they see, oh, there, he's over there. Jesus is over there. So they go to see Jesus. And it says this in, in Matt, Matthew's account that Jesus, he had compassion on the people. So here he is, you know, Jesus very busy, he, grieving the loss of John the Baptist. He's been doing a lot of things. He's, he's kind of seeking some rest. But yet Jesus, I mean, he could have said, no, guys, just go away. I'm, I, I, need some, I need a break. But yet Jesus had compassion on them. And I think sometimes I feel like, oh, I just want to get away from some people. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm more of an introverted guy, so I kind of want, I need some alone time, whatever. It's like, I want to get away from some people. And it's like, but this is a great example of, you know what? When the opportunity presents itself, we should be available to minister. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. So Jesus begins to be able to teach these guys. Um, and so he valued the people. He had compassion over the people. Um, let's, let's take a couple of other notes in here and, and make some observations about what takes place. Is that So you've got um, Jesus testing. So he, he, he's going to test his disciples. So Jesus knows what's going to take place. He knows what's going on. But what's the immediate response of his disciples? So here we have all these people, and they're thinking, uh-oh, it's, get, it's in the afternoon, they're in this rural setting, and you can't, just, you can't just pop to the corner and grab some food. And so you got all these people, and where, what are we going to do? we got all these people, and we don't have any food. And so now, what's the solution? What's um, Philip is thinking about? Where shall we buy bread that, that they may eat? Um, and then 
he says, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he, he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. So 200 denarii of bread would be, from what I, the notes that I read, would have been approximately eight months worth of wages just to feed these people in one shot. So a pretty significant amount of money. So I think here's one thing that the guys are thinking is like money. We've got a problem. We've got a situation. So money should be able to solve the, the problem, right? And so it's like, well, boy, that's a lot of money. But how often, how, and I'm thinking about this through our lens as well, is how often we've got a problem. It's like, well, you know, we got money. We're going to just throw some money at it, and the problem's going to go away. And, I mean, there could be tons of different examples we could use. But a lot of times we've been, we've been blessed financially. We just say, well, the money's going to fix the problem. But essentially, here's Jesus is with these guys, and he tests his disciples. What are we going to do with this problem? You know, ideally, as they're continuing to spend some time with Jesus, they're going to start to clue in on like, okay, Jesus is the, the answer. Jesus has the, the wisdom, the solution. But yet they're kind of seeking man's own way of, of, of solving the problem with their money. And so... Then we've got the young man has got, what, what does he have? He's only got some bread and some fish. That's hardly enough to feed anybody. But yet Jesus turns what, what this young boy has and he turns it into an abundance of food. So 20,000 people, roughly, are going to be fed. And, but, and we mentioned there's already leftovers. So we know that there's an abundance of food. And this is an incredible miracle because just to think about the, the amount of energy that it would take to create this much food that, that, from nothing. And so you've got just an incredible act, a miracle here, the amount of energy that's produced, and you've got this abundance of, of food. And so Jesus is shown here as, as creator. He's... He's, um, we're going to look at the storm here in the next few verses, but Jesus had already shown his control, his sovereignty over the weather. He had, he had already calmed a storm, and then he's going to deliver the guys through another storm that's coming on. So you're getting to see, and the, the disciples are getting to see a glimpse. Who is Jesus? Wow, he's not just some, some carpenter. He's a little bit more than that. He's doing some pretty incredible things. And then they're really going to be starting to listen to, to his teaching and what, he is, what he's all about. And so Jesus provides this miracle. They've got abundance of food. So imagine this. How do you think the fish was? How do you think the bread and the fish was? Uh, we took Cyrus, my three-year-old, and all our kids. We have a nine nine-year-old, seven-year-old, five, and a three-year-old. So we went to Huck Finn. So if you guys want to know that where the fish are biting, I'll tell you where a good place to fish, or fish is, Huck Finn Pond. Except the problem is you've got to be 13 years or younger to fish at Huck Finn. Okay? So, that, so anyhow, so we go fishing, and we catch a fish. We're, we're letting them go, but we had to keep one, and Cyrus really wanted to eat this fish. 
So we go and cook this little stocked trout. And some of you, you may like trout. We, we enjoy trout every once in a while, but we would prefer some other kind of fish too. But, so we cook this trout up, and Cyrus is thinking. I'm like, hey, Cyrus, let's put a little salt and pepper on that. And he's like, no, no, I just want to eat it. So he takes a bite of it, and sure enough, it tastes like a, a stocked trout that's not, you know, it hasn't been feeding on the, the, sh- the shrimp or whatever, you know, it's, it's white meat, it's not, not the salmon-colored, you know, it, it was, I'll say, it was okay, it was okay. But Cyrus takes a bite and he spits it out right away. He's like, Ugh, I do not like this. So he didn't like the fish. But imagine this, Jesus right there had created fish fish in the bread. Do you think that that's probably the best bread and fish you've ever had? I, I would think so. I would think it would be incredible. So Jesus feeds thousands of people, has done this miracle. And we're going to go on to see this, um, to see that, the, the people, they see that this has happened. Verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, this is truly the prophet who is, his, to, who is to come into the world. But we've got to keep going to see the real response of the people. Um, we're going to skip verses 15 through 21, and we'll come back to that. But Jesus is going to start teaching into um, verse... Verse 20, well, we're going to go to verse 24. So Jesus sends his disciples, he sends them over to Capernaum. They're going to go through a storm at night. And then Jesus is, this is where actually Peter is going to walk on water. And so we got to go to Matthew, I think Matthew 14 to see it, it goes more into depth about Peter walking on the water. And as we're checking those other gospels, Jesus sees the heart of the people and he knows the motives of what's going on in their heart. And so he slides out of the way. So these people are seeing, wow, Jesus is incredible. We, this is the guy. This is going to be the one who is going to deliver them. So we've got to remember this. What, what's the condition of the people at this time? Rome is in governance. Rome is ruling at that time. And they want to get out of, out of the rule of, of Rome. So now imagine this. So you have somebody that has proven that he's healed people of their medical conditions. He's healed uh, ailments. And now he's just provided food for 20,000 people like this. And these people are thinking, hmm, this is the guy our... Our, our Savior, the literal Savior of that time, He's going to deliver us from Rome. Because imagine this. So now Jesus is starting to, to discern, and He knows the motives of their heart. And He knows that they're going to take them over um, by... The, the mob is going to come and say, hey, you're our leader. Okay, so think through this. If you're a military guy, and you're in this time, and you've got to take care of a military of let's say you had 20,000 troops. How are you going to feed the guys? Well, that's going to take a lot of food and you got to just to meet and and meet the needs of your troops, right? What what if you go to battle and guys are injured and you got somebody your leader can heal guys? 
wow, now you're talking, you've got somebody that's going to come in there and wipe out the Roman rule. Does that make sense? So it's like he's starting to see now that these guys are thinking through, this is our leader, this is the one who's going to deliver us from Rome. Not to save them from their sins, but to deliver them from the rule that, that's coming there. And then we'll, we'll see what's going on here with the people. Verse 24 says this, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, so the, the disciples have gone to Capernaum, They've traveled across the way, and then now the people got fed the day before. They're looking for Jesus, and it says that, so, and then here's where we're at, verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into, into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answers them and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which per- perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent, sent his, uh, set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may uh, work the works of God? Uh, Jesus answered them and said to them, this is the work of God that you would believe in Him, that you would believe in Him who who He sent. So now here's another motive of the people. Why are the people seeking Jesus? And He knows their motives. What's their motive? Their bellies are they're hungry, right? So it's like Jesus says, "You didn't come here just seeking Me. You just came here for the food. You're here for the food." Here, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes with FCA, we'll do this. We'll provide pizza at, at lunch, you know, free pizza. Come on, have some pizza. We've got a lot of people that will show up just for the food. They, they show up for the food, and then we don't see them again. You just let me know when the free food's coming, and then I'll show up. But our, and, and we see that. But the intentions is this, is for us to be able to share Christ with them so that that their heart is changed, it's transformed. So now they're not just seeking the church for just filling their belly, but they're seeking them for the eternal life, the eternal significance about the words that are shared. Okay, so Jesus knows the motives of the people, that they're just there. Now, um, in one of the other Gospels was sharing that Jesus is knowing that these guys are going to take him over for their military rule or for their leadership. He knew their motives, so he kind of slips away. It's like, no, he's not there to, to, to defeat Rome and conquer in the way that the people had thought they were, he was going to conquer the Savior. And then you've got these people responding, saying, hey, I'm coming to Jesus just to get fed. And so Jesus knows their hearts. And then he goes into some teaching. He's going to teach some hard things. And, and we, we celebrated communion this morning. But he, he talks about participating, taking like the body. You've, you've got to ta- eat my body and drink of, of my blood. And it's, it's really confusing. It's really challenging. And it's not talking about communion because communion hadn't been instituted yet. But it's, as we know, Jesus teaching in parables and in illustrations and points, he's saying, you must receive me. This, he, he, sorry about that. 
He is the Savior. You must receive Him. And then the response, the further response of the people is that they're going to hear the teaching and guess what they do? They just go away. And then Jesus is going to turn to His disciples and say, are you guys going to walk away too? And we'll see their response here in a little bit. But the people just walk away. So their motives was just seeking the food and not, not willing to follow his, his hard teaching. Okay, now let's go back to, to figure out how do the disciples respond to Jesus. So the, the disciples get one more test. So Jesus had tested Philip and said, hey, what are you going to do? We got all these, these people to feed, so test one. How are we going to respond to this? Philip's thinking, oh, we, gotta, we need some money. We've got to come up with this money and then where are we going to go buy the food? Well, they're, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. They're away from the town. So he, you, know, he might, you can consider that. He, he fails that test of really seeking Jesus for the, the answer. And then he's going to test them by their faith. When they go out, Jesus sends them to Capernaum in the boat. So this is where verse 15 comes into, so we'll read what it says here. So verse going back in here, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he de- departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So Jesus is going away. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over to the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where, uh, where we were going. So you got a bunch of fishermen getting afraid. They're out. The winds are blowing. You got this storm going. I mean, these should be some pretty hardy guys. But and then Matthew chapter 14. So you can maybe keep your finger in John 6. But Matthew 14 goes into some more depth about this same account. So Jesus, you know, I think it's interesting to note this. And I heard a pastor speaking this. Is like Jesus didn't tell. The disciples, hey, go in the boat, go over there to Capernaum, go, you know, go out to Capernaum, and by the way, go drown in the middle of the, the lake. Did Jesus tell them that? No. He didn't say, just go out there in your boat, get in that storm, and you're, that's going to be the end. No, Jesus said, go to the other side. Now, so the point being this is like, if they knew what Jesus was all about, they should trust him and his word. Jesus said, go to the other side, so they should go. But yet, they get out there, and they've, these are some fishermen that should know the, the storms, and there's some big storms in the, the structure and the geography of the land and the, the winds that come in there in this area that can whip up some pretty good storms. But these guys have probably been tested through that, but yet now, they're, they're in the storm and they're afraid, and then they see Jesus walking on the water, and this is the account, so Matthew 14, where Peter comes out and says, Lord, 
if it's you, you know, ask me to come out. Um, verse 29, and I'll, we want to we want to ask this question: Is what is the response of the disciples to Jesus doing his miracles? Okay, so verse 29. So he said, "Come." And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink and cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were, so the wind ceased, verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So, and there's a, you know, there's a sermon upon sermon about Peter walking on the water and the faith and, and the trust and the belief in that. But where we're at here is just to get this, this picture of his disciples. Okay, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to another spot too, so hang with me. In Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, there was another storm where Jesus... Jesus was on the boat with them and he's sleeping like he's on a pillow and he's resting and they're in the storm and the guys are kind of freaking out again. And Jesus is just sleeping. But Jesus causes the storm to, to cease. And the response of the disciples, this was a time period earlier, was, who is this? Who is Jesus? That was their question. So now fast forward, some time elapses. They've seen some miracles. They're getting to know who Jesus has done. What, what he does, they've seen him do his creation. He's created the food. And now here's another storm. And they, now Peter walks on the water. Jesus is walking on the water. Jesus, you know, rescues Peter. And what is their response? I think this is critical. Then those who were in the boat came and they, what did they do? They worshipped him. So they worshipped him. They didn't just identify him for what he did. They, I, they identified him for who he was, right? So truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, and then let's flip back over to where we are at in John 6. And we'll try to bring some closure to everything in here. So you've got the Pharisees. Their response to Jesus, we're getting some pictures here. Of um, and the, the Pharisees weren't shown in this setting, but in John chapter five, the Pharisees they want to kill Jesus. Total rejection. He says he's God. We're, he's out. They reject him. So now you've got the people that are along with Jesus. They their motives. We want to we want to um, take him over, take him by force, and to make him our king. Oh, by the way, we'll also take him because he'll give us some food. We want to fill our bellies. So we'll go to Jesus to fill our bellies. Then the disciples, they're starting to get it. Now they're worshiping Jesus. And then he goes through the hard teaching. And we don't have the time to really dissect um, the meat and potatoes in in the middle of John chapter 6. But let's kind of scroll through to... um, John chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 66. So he teaches about taking his body and his blood, and some tough teaching. 
And then this, it says, verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and they walked with him no more. So they've heard tough teaching from Jesus. You know, that, that's pretty tough stuff. I don't, I don't like that. So I'm going to kind of go away, go on my own way. And how about in our culture, in our society? How many people do we know is like, yeah, they, they kind of gave Christianity or gave God a chance and then life circumstances were tough. And the, the interesting thing is, I mean, this, this message is kind of the anti, it's not the health and wealth uh, message of come to Jesus and he's going to give you a nice new car. No, sometimes you come to Jesus and he's going to send you into a storm. He's going to send you into a place where your faith is going to get tested. And he's going to put you to it, some test to see where you're at, right? So we know sometimes there can be some challenges. But this is the critical part, verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, when given the opportunity, are you going to walk away? What do the disciples do? In the boat, they had worshipped him. Now they've got a chance to leave, but they say, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so the conclusion for them is to see is not, they're not just seeking, I mean, they received some of the benefits of, of what Jesus was all about. And I, and I don't want to say this in the message. We still ask, when we pray for healing, we pray because we know God is mighty. And if that be his will, he can heal somebody. So we're going to ask him because he teaches us to do so. But sometimes people like, and, and God knows our motives. And sometimes, um, and I think this too is like, so Nick's on our, our football team and I'm the chaplain with the, the, the football team. And, and Nick knows this as well as like, we see guys come to our chapel services and sometimes I was that way too, right? Is sometimes guys will show up because they want, it's a good luck charm. If I come to chapel and read about God, then God is going to help me play better. I mean, if we're honest, I mean, sometimes people do that. There was a, there was a, an individual came. So I'm in the front. I know all who's there. And this guy came one time and he had been before, but he came, and uh, that game, we lost, and he didn't play very well. Okay, so the next week, he didn't come to chapel, and he had an incredible game. Just played incredible. Do you think we saw that guy again? We didn't. We didn't see him again. But what's really cool is if a guy comes, comes to chapel, and he doesn't play so well, but he's there the next week, and then he might play okay. And then he's there the next week. And then he's there the next week. What does that show? He's like, they're there to learn more about God, to pray to God, to worship God before we go out and compete. Because that's what it's about. It's not just about what we can get from God, but it's about worshiping him for who he is and not turning from him. And I'm going to share a quote. I was reading, uh, reading an article. It's a fascinating article about how we sometimes perceive that we have all these needs that God needs to meet these needs in our life. And we've got these perceived needs. And sometimes 
to be honest with it, they're totally selfish. I'll give you an example too. It's like a little prayer. So I go out fishing. You guys know, you're starting to hear that I like to go fishing. So we go fishing this last weekend, and we, I've got boat problems. But I, the thought crosses my mind. You know what, God, you could, you, could, you're the, you could be the ultimate mechanic, and you could just heal my motor. And my, I mean, he could, but what was my motive? My motive is to go catch a fish, to get in my boat to go catch a fish, and it's totally just serving myself. And it's like, you know what, God could do that because he's able, but what is the motive of my prayer is just, just kind of selfish to go catch a fish. You know, a fish. I can catch one later. What you know? But I was just thinking about that. I was like, well, I do the same thing a lot of times. But um, anyhow, this article says this, and I'll read it. Hopefully, it'll make sense. It says, in um, in need psychology, the natural way to praise God is for what He has done for me. So the natural way is to praise God for what He's done. So we give thanks for God for what He's done, right? Um, however. And this is where the, the article's going. It says, in God's self-revelation, though God deserves humble thankfulness because of what he has done for me, God deserves praise simply because he is God. Not just for what he's done, but so we humble thankfulness. Okay, and then it says, but we praise him for because he is God. The natural, deepest resting point for our thoughts is not our own deep longings, but the immeasurably great God of glory. Rightly seen and understood, this glory is all-consuming. In Exodus, when the Israelites were delivered from uh, Pharaoh in Egypt, it says the Israelites did not break out into song because God met longings. They exalted God simply because he is exalted. And they said this, Who among gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? That's Exodus 15:11. And so the idea is, why do we seek God? Do we just seek Him for just serving our own self-needs or self-desires? Or do we worship Him because He is our Creator? He is the Savior. He not only can provide, he's a provider, he can provide now, but he provides that ultimate need is our salvation, um, our, our righteousness, that he provides the righteousness that we so desperately need. And I'll, I'll close with this illustration would be um, tw- almost 12 years ago, I, I got married. And some of you guys know my wife, Stacy, but... Do you guys know why I married Stacy? I married Stacy because I wanted to get my laundry done. Like I struggled with doing laundry. <laughs> laundry and I I don't like making my own lunches. And and I don't like making my own lunches and I I wanted somebody to help pick up after me. And so that's why I married Stacy is you know and as as a man I had various desires and I wanted you know a, a mate to be able to satisfy my various desires and that's why I married Stacy right I mean if 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 you told her that she would be like what 
Are you kidding me? Like, there's, there's no marriage. Like, if, if I married her for that, no, I, that, that's not true, right? You guys get my point? It's not true. I married her because she's incredible. And God was working in our lives. And I knew that, that God had had us together, that, that she would strengthen me and I would strengthen her. I would serve her and love her. She would serve and, and love me. I didn't just marry her for what she could give me. I married her because she's incredible. And she said yes, also. So that always, always helps as well. But the point, so the point to illustrate, hopefully we get the, the point behind that. It's like, why do we serve God? Because God is worth serving. God is worth surrender our lives completely because he's incredible. He's the creator, and we can go on and on about who God is. Not just, God, I, I, I serve you because you, you help me out in a tough time. You know, maybe that's part of it, but solely that shouldn't be it. All right? And I hope, I hope that makes sense. So, um, but and I hope you've been blessed and encouraged. I, like I've been encouraged just digging through John chapter 6, seeing the different responses of the people. But how do we respond to Jesus? Do we totally reject him? Or do we kind of say, you know, when things get tough, are we, are we easily, easily turned back? And when our needs aren't, aren't met, do we just walk away? The health and wealth says this is like, you need to come to God and then he's going to just meet every need that you have. No, we, we, we're going to have some trials. We're going to have some difficult circumstances. But God's worthy to serve and honor and to give our lives to. So um, let's close in a word of prayer. And I know we have our um, closing song, correct, for this service. So let me let me pray and we'll... We'll end. So, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our time this morning. Thank you that you you love us so much, despite even our our imperfections. And Lord, you you are an awesome God. You do provide and, and meet many of our needs and desires. But yet, we worship you because you are our God. You are sovereign. You are our Creator, and you deserve our full allegiance. And Lord, I pray that you would help uh, convict us when we're, we're selfish, just serving our own needs uh, in our prayers. But we pray that we would just be mindful of, of honoring you and praising you for who you are, because you are God and you're worthy of our praise. So we thank you for that reminder and example that we see throughout John, um, that we can have belief in you and have life because of that belief in, in knowing you, knowing that you are um, the Savior, the Messiah. So thank you for the cross. Thank you for our time just to, to reflect upon the cross and, and the salvation that is provided through the cross. Pray that, that our lives would be a reflection of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.